This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to the Now News panel on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe, in for Dave Brown, and I'm joined by Juwita Gupta and Michelle McQuig. So now we have one more topic to discuss, and Canada has unveiled a new climate adaptation strategy, which includes new funding to help fight the effects of climate change. Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair announced the new funding in PEI. We will be investing another $1.6 billion over the next five years to build climate-resilient communities and to support a strong Canadian economy. He says that the investment is to help the economy withstand environmental issues. And right across the country, we know that our work must be tied to a resilient and strong economy. We have to make an economy that works for all Canadians, and therefore it has to be resilient to climate change. This strategy is set to serve as a blueprint for Canada's plan going forward, targeting various sectors, and will serve as a living document updated every five years. Now, Julia, this was your uh, topic, so I'll let you have first crack at this. Where did you want to go with this topic? Well, I mean, there are some important um, and key takeaways that we can certainly dig into with this. It's an announcement, but we haven't really seen a lot of detail, and that's not entirely surprising, but uh, some important ground has nonetheless been covered. We've also just seen um, the COP27 summit uh, wrap up, so there might be some linkages there. And, of course, you know, with climate change, change, um, it's one of those interesting things where I think a lot a lot of us really talk about how we might take action personally uh, to try and mitigate the problem on a larger scale. So if we have time, there was a really interesting uh, conversation that some researchers have put forward about eliminating air miles as a way to tackle the climate change problem, just to end the show on a, well, to end the panel, rather, on a lighter note. I don't want to scrap the last you're, hour. You're, you're, you're ending the show for you. <laughs> I still got another hour to do, but don't worry. We'll make sure to get to that because that is a, a lighter one. Yes. But uh, Michelle, let's go to you. Like, what did you make of this announcement in, in Canada's new new plan? Yeah, it's as with any of these announcements, it's interesting to kind of take a deeper dive. The, the banner headline of one point six billion sounds like a very significant investment, as indeed it is. It's a lot of money, um, but when you look down at it, we're talking about you know a couple hundred million on one aspect, a few tens of millions on another. Money that undoubtedly will help and, and undoubtedly is needed, but that will only go so far. And the, the big message here is trying to seek buy-in from other partners. Bill Blair had some other remarks along those lines, talking about the need to have all orders of government step up the way the federal one just has to, to earmark some funds and get on board. Because a lot of the issues involving environment and climate change do fall under provincial jurisdictions. So there is going to need to be some cooperation there. Yeah. Um, I find it really interesting that Stephen Gilbeau, the environment minister, was supposed to present this plan. He was called away for a personal matter. So I did find it interesting as a piece of messaging that the federal emergency preparedness minister stepped up. That to me shifts mm-hmm. a, a bit of direction in terms of how this issue is being viewed as not just an environmental one. And his talk about the economy struck me as interesting as well in light of the the main gain to come out of the COP27 summit, which was the fact that richer countries have agreed now to establish a fund 
to help some poor countries mitigate and, and adapt to climate change. There, there are different concepts, there are different notions, um, but that was really the main point of agreement that came out of that summit, even if a lot of other uh, crucial targets were not mentioned. Speaking of targets, this federal bill does not have concrete targets spelled out. It indicates that there will be some, but we don't have those numbers yet. So there's another big piece of that puzzle that's going to be hard to really get our heads around its impact until we know. Absolutely. Well, this is one of those things, as you mentioned, you know, he was presenting it in PEI. Uh, we all know PEI was struggling to recover after Hurricane Fiona. Uh, I, I had a few uh, uh, friends of mine who were out there who's, who were telling me about some of the, the aftermath, the damage and the long term. So emergency preparedness going forward to try to help mitigate uh, certain environmental uh, issues like that in the future, I think is kind of the direction. But yeah, you mentioned the breakdown as well in terms of the funding. We in, in there, some of the vague numbers, okay, well, here's uh, some money going to help uh, prevent uh, forest fires and how they're, they're establishing neighborhoods around forested areas, some for mapping flood, uh, flood mapping and, and things mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. uh, some for infrastructure to help build more climate resilient homes. Very vague, positive sounding, but it's like, how is this actually going to be enacted is the big question. Joita, uh, going back to you, do you think that because we just had, as uh, Michelle mentioned, COP27 wrapped up and there was this uh, this tie-in of, of helping to have the richer company, uh, countries fund uh, the developing nations who are feeling the effects of uh, climate change. Do, are these two plans almost kind of linked or, or a, a continuation of one another? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the Canadian adaptation, the climate adaptation strategy announced by Canada is um, perhaps acknowledging reality. And that reality is that extreme weather events have gotten more frequent and they are becoming increasingly more devastating. Um, I think I remember reading somewhere, I can't remember where now, that uh, the ten uh, the, the budget for dealing with emergency disasters, uh, budget oh, over yeah. 10 years has been already half spent. And mm-hmm. we're, in a, we're in a tight situation. Uh, whether or not you agree with... Uh, Pinning the argument uh, or making the argument in economic terms, that's neither here nor there. The point is we're seeing more floods, we're seeing more fires, we're seeing more heat waves, and Canadians are dying. And I think this uh, this adaptation strategy is addressing those vulnerabilities. And as a person with a disability, uh, um, you're knowing that, the, that this population, people with disabilities, is especially vulnerable during extreme climate events. I can't say I disagree with that. Uh, emphasis at all. Uh, And then you ask about uh, COP27 uh, and the loss and damage fund that they've established to help countries that are uh, vulnerable to a climate disaster. And I think, yeah, it's definitely drawing on the same sentiment that uh, countries that have been the largest polluters or have the largest carbon footprints should put money into a fund to uh, help or assist countries in the developing world who bear the brunt of climate change uh, and the impacts of climate change. And I think that's an important acknowledgement. Uh, It's not without its controversy. You you know, you have the you have China, big economy, big carbon footprint could argue that, you know, we're off the hook. We're, in fact, a developing country. But you might have experts arguing otherwise, saying China's actually been quite responsible for the climate crisis. So you're going to have those fiddly things to figure out. But in general, the acknowledgement that the global south is more vulnerable to climate change and needs 
support is really Im- important. You know, there was a, a mention of the islands of, of Tuvalu, uh, which they're now contemplating preserving as a digital nation because they're so worried that the island itself, the physical island, will disappear. So that's a really chilling reality to think about. Absolutely. Now, before we run out of time, you you, you did tease. We want to kind of end <laughs> things a bit lighter and not all doom and gloom. So, Michelle, I'll start with you on this. Researchers have kind of been posing the question of, should we eliminate incentives for flying, things like air miles and air rewards to fly to help mitigate the desire to to use air travel since it is so environmentally impactful? What do you make of this? Do you think we should do away with air miles? Um, well, I, I think it's an interesting and creative solution. I, I would love to know, though, how much air mile travel actually accounts for travel. <laughs> um, I suspect that the, the this will apply more to the, the odd leisure traveler uh, when I suspect that, you know, corporate travel and all kinds of other factors, uh, entertainment industry travel, for instance, might account for more. So uh, I, I wouldn't dismiss the idea. I just wonder how much impact it would have. Absolutely. Uh, Joita, we'll go to you. You got about 25 seconds uh, weigh in on this like do you think should we get away with uh, air miles uh, maybe it would have been a good idea 20 years ago but the programs have really grown so that the majority of air uh, air miles are accumulated from sources other than air travel and can be spent mm-hmm. on things other than air travel I don't know if you do anything other than enrage uh, consumers at this point because the program really it is a bit of, of a misnomer to call them air miles it would it's if it's an interesting idea and it certainly draws attention to the the fact that air travel is really bad for the climate mm-hmm. but I don't think it's really going to accomplish very much in the long term. Yeah, I agree. You know, I I, I think, as Michelle pointed out, there are far more greater uh, causes in terms of who's using uh, the uh, who's who's using up more of the resources when it comes to flights. It, it's not really the main consumer. It's it's the wealthy, the businesses, those who have all those types of connections. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much, Michelle uh, McQuig and Joita Gupta for joining me and chatting about three Really fascinating topics. I hope you both have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. You too, Alex. Take care. So, uh, Michelle McQuig is a news editor with the Canadian Press, and Joita Gupta is the host of The Pulse on AMI-audio. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.